by Hip Hop Caucuses. Think 100%. The Queens have done great work, but to the exclusion of the groups that are truly experiencing the worst of the environmental impacts, the Big Greens have just continued to shift the conversation much more towards these technocratic solutions. But without having the people, we cannot get to the solutions that are truly going to benefit everybody. That's Adriana Quintero, the Senior Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at Energy Foundation. She's our guest today, and I am Rev Yearwood, your host of The Coolest Show. The amazing Adriana Quintero, uh, my dear friend yeah. for many, 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 many years. Many, many years. Such an honor to be here and really looking forward to this. Um, and it just reminded me also of how much we have to catch up on. And, you know, I know, I know that you're working with a couple of us at EF already. And, and I know that we're, I mean, beyond excited to be, be able to, to, even do some support on the democracy side. So I have, I have a lot of questions and ideas and, you know, things we should, we should brainstorm about. Well, let's get started right there. I mean, uh, what is Energy Foundation's role in the movement and in DEI? Absolutely. Diversity, equity, and inclusion, which are really um, a trifecta that you can't take alone. If you're looking to achieve equity, uh, if you're looking to get to justice, you need all three and you need them in earnest. And uh, the one that is obviously not mentioned explicitly there is justice. But to me, these are some of the elements that get us to justice. If we don't have representation, which is what our diversity is, true representation and a reflection of our communities, of those who are truly uh, impacted and closest to the issues that we're talking about and working on, then you can't start the conversation. If those people are not included in a way that's meaningful, that is not transactional, that is truly equitable, meaning that where you got to be lifted up, you're lifted up so that you can truly participate in a, in a situation where the power dynamics aren't oppressing you or quieting your voice in any way. That's incredibly critical. And then, of course, you need equity. Um, but to me, equity is almost the outcome. You know, uh, we actually spent a lot of time talking about what this looks like in our work, what we mean when we're saying this. And it was a really important uh, process because it allowed us to really look at the fact that the removal of, of, of biases ultimately is, is equity. And I don't know if any of you have seen the, the, the image of, of the fence, right? And you've got uh, an adult who's tall, who can easily look over the fence, doesn't need any help to look over the fence. You have another person who's a little bit smaller, uh, needs a small uh, bit of help to look over that same fence and, and watch the game. So a person who's shorter in, in height and needs to needs needs a bigger box. And ultimately, we can't all participate equally unless we are really re unless we're able to raise ourselves up and remove those biases. Now, the ultimate dream there is let's remove the fence. Let's mm. remove all of those systemic impairments and barriers that have historically been placed in our way to prevent us from fully participating. And that's the way that we will actually thrive. Without that, we won't. So where I sit at Energy Foundation, I feel like my responsibility is to make sure that all of those things are happening in unison so that we're actually getting towards 
justice and towards a future that where the results that everyone is driving towards to solve this climate crisis are truly equitable and truly benefiting first those who are most impacted and ultimately as a result of that, the rest of the world. But Energy Foundation, you know, we're a, we're a regranter. We don't have our own endowment. We don't have our own funding. I actually see that as an opportunity because what we have to do then is actually talk to the foundations and help bring philanthropy along, which you know is, is a challenge. Yeah. Well, no, we just got into the conversation. That's what we do. Because <laughs> when you call somebody, you just pick up and they know your voice and say, hey, how you doing? So I guess for those who are listening, I am so blessed to talk to my friend, uh, Adriana Quintero and her dog in the background there. (laughs) What's the dog? What's the dog's name, actually? Bella. Bella is really excited to be here with us today, too, because she she's heard me just, you know, sing your praises and speak so highly of, of you, my friend, that that she's she wants to participate too. So she she has a lot to say. Um, I like to say that she is is often my my uh, you know of course as Kim Peel did it my my anger interpreter. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. So yeah, when so I have a lot to say, she says it for me when I can't. Well, we all need a Bella. We all need a Bella. <laughs> we do. We do. <laughs> so for those who don't know you, and I don't mean just your role now with the Energy Foundation and your role before uh, with one of the big greens and your role before even running your own entity. But just who, are you, who is Adriana Quintero? So that, you know what, of all of the things that people ask me, that's the hardest one to answer mm. uh, because I think we're all so multifaceted. But I, I have done a little thinking about this recently and um, For me, what really defines me is I'm more than anything, I'm a passionate advocate um, Mm. on every issue. Uh, Actually, before I came into this field, I was a public defender. And throughout my life, I mean, I can look back to when I was a kid, I've always really been a passionate advocate. I'm also a, a, a committed mom and blessed to be that. And I'm a a Latina and everything that that brings, you know, which is this wonderful uh, global mix of cultures and uh, fire. And again, this perspective that I believe uh, is really critical for us to have in all of these conversations, because as women of color, they're just different experiences that you have. And, you know, you, you walk in and, and even with your name automatically um, there's a different, there's a different, uh, a lot of assumptions made on us. So that, that has all helped to define me in a way that I think feeds that, that need for justice and fairness and, um, and, and truly, uh, living a mission-driven life. Do you think because of who you are, literally your work from your time as an attorney to your time as an activist, um, and then who you are from your, uh, from your family to your heritage to your culture, um, does that make you a better activist? Or does it make you a more informed activist? I don't necessarily think that it, I would necessarily become an activist. Like not everybody who may have similar experiences to me becomes an activist, but I do think that in my experience, every single one of my experiences has made me more of an activist and a more informed and better activist because every single one of us has a story to tell. And I think the difference is that for so long, we haven't been telling the stories of those of us who are not in the dominant culture, who are not the, the traditional power player, especially here in the U.S., but frankly, even on the global stage. 
So I believe that the only difference between me, who has been actively out there talking about this and really bringing fire to the, to the fight, is that I was encouraged to do so. And so one of the things that I really live for is encouraging others to just raise their voice and speak up. Um, and that's really how we inspire others to become activists, to, to ask for what they need and what they want and tell their stories because nine times out of 10, your story is going to inspire somebody. And if you keep going with that, make a change that's going to be really important. How would this movement look different to you if it was flip-flopped, if it was actually majority people of color in the environmental movement? What would, it, what would this, what, what would, would you still have the same? Uh, how, how, yeah, how would it look? That's, that's kind of the dream, frankly. And I hope that that's what we're, that's what we're working towards here. Because I think we would, we would have started in a different place, frankly. And honestly, if you look back at the movement, we started in a different place. So one of the things that I've talked about is that at some point in this movement, you know, in the, in the 60s, 70s, when, when environmentalism really took hold, uh, we started in a different place. It was very much a movement of the people. And we shifted to uh, a, a heavy, heavy reliance on, on, on the academic problems that, that, that of course, science is, is necessary to solve these problems, but to the, to the detriment of the people and to our, the stories, and especially to the lives and experiences of people of color who we know because we've lived it, the impacts of climate change, of air pollution, of water pollution, of pesticide contamination, all of this in a different way and at a different level. Hmm. Culturally, we just, we've just lived that differently. Um, and, and every one of us, I think, can point back to one of those moments in our history as a person of color where the environment was just impacting us differently. So we, while we need everybody, I believe that we would have had a more story-based experiential movement. And I think we still can. I think that's what's motivating people now is that people are now talking about how, how their lives interact with the problems of, of water pollution and air pollution, rather than the focus on data, which, which again, that's how we solve the problems. But that's not necessarily what lights that fire underneath us as activists to just go to the mat and get it done. So I believe that we have an opportunity to bring that energy that we're seeing right now in the streets to this fight and to make some changes at a level that, um, that is needed because the urgency is, is absolutely extreme. Another thing, Rev, you know, I think we're finally telling the story of how all of the different forms of oppression mm. lead to this type of, frankly, the oppression of the environment, which by definition oppresses communities. And it becomes this circle where we start to see how these things all come together. How if we are excluding the voices on environmental advocacy of people of color, then we're not going to get the results we need. And it's only a, a part and parcel of the same thing that we're doing on democracy, excluding people in, in the democratic process. All of these things come together and we can't really solve one without solving all of them. Well, I love that. I mean, I think that is the way to go. And so I appreciate that vision. Uh, I guess my question though, is that do you think that vision could scare some people, because we have a movement that is already uh, the, 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 the die is cast, uh, mm -hmm. the mold is set in some aspects. And so what you're saying is to uh, tear the house down, you know, which I like in hip hop. I don't mind that <laughs> at all. But 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 sometimes, you know, that can scare folks because that may mean 
uh, reimagining a a revision. In other words, not seeing within the square, but the circle or no lines at all. So, what does that mean, though? If what you're saying is, in essence, this is the way we should be. This is the solution. This makes us successful. But then we're not that way now. And people are in those positions, which means they may have to transition to a different position. What does that mean for, 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 from their perspective and for what you're talking about? You know, you're talking about power there, right? And mm-hmm. a shift in power. And nobody likes to give up power. And I think we're seeing that play out so vividly in front of us as we all, you know, uh, quarantine or some modified version of this life at home that we have right now during the pandemic. But it's, it's inevitable. It's inevitable that the power has to shift. I mean, humans were so afraid of change, and yet it's the only constant. You know, we ourselves are changing, our environment is changing, our lives are changing constantly. And I think what we're trying to say is it's a disruption in the power structure and and that's going to be threatening and that's going to be met with resistance and i think we're seeing that but it's necessary because the majority now frankly is calling for that and the craziest part about it is that it's long overdue because our planet and our environment has been calling for it for years we just haven't been listening So the same way that the people have been calling for change, the planet's been calling for change. We can't look at these wildfires. I mean, California, here in California where I live, all we do with the minute the temperatures go up, we just cross our fingers and start praying, hoping that something's not going to just be set aflame again. And, you know, another million people displaced and, 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 uh, tons of of air pollution and carbon pollution and just just really really tragic stuff um plus at the same time looking at at at, uh the gulf coast which has been hit i mean three times in a row just this year not to mention all the hurricanes that have come before so i think our planet is screaming for change our planet our planet's been taking to the streets um, long before us. And, and so how do we change this in a way that actually shows that this is, a, this is beneficial to everybody? I think what happens is we often get stuck in this idea of, of the status quo. It, it's safe because we know it, but it's not safe. It's actually detrimental right now. And so what we need to do is make sure that that's changed. It's not working for anybody right now. Maybe a tiny, tiny, tiny number of polluters are benefiting. But I always wonder about, what about their families? It's not like their kids and their grandkids and their aunts and uncles. They're, not, they're living in this too. So I think it really is about, um, we have to shift our thinking to what is going to bring the most good to our planet, to our people. And that is going to mean changing, but we can't look at this at our at the faces in our country and not admit, and frankly, in the world, not admit that the people of the global majority are the people of the global majority, and that's us, people of color. We got a story to tell. It's our turn, and we're not going to blow it up to the point where it's destroyed. We're going to blow it up in a way that it's going, you know, like, like a balloon, like it's going to be enough for all of us. It's in a, in a good way uh, rather than in a destructive way. Um, unless maybe you're a, a, an oil producer or in that case, maybe it, it may not be too beneficial for you. And I'm okay with that. No, no, I'm okay with that too. <laughs> but we went, we went right to the, so folks, Listening, I probably say, "Man, they went right to the the, the, the high bar to dabble. They didn't they, they didn't go into the the, the the shallow end. They didn't go to the medium dive bar. They went right to the the one up the top. So we gonna we gonna take it down just a notch, just that one notch. And coach, they, <laughs> we, we know we got folks not listening. Said so they got us going to LinkedIn right now and and, and right now resumes <laughs> till t- we kill we we losing our spot. So before you lose your spot, before you before you do all that." Listen to the entirety of this conversation. So let me get back to this, to this, some of the basics of this process. Um, when I say to you, um, what is the environment and what does it mean to you? What comes to mind? 
So I, uh, when I think about the environment, and I think this is something I'd love to hear your you your reflection on what I what I'll say because I've thought about this a lot too. <clears throat> as a as a Latina, and frankly, as as Latinx, uh, the Latinx community, both here and abroad, um, I've I've heard that we've got some similarities on this. But for for me, the environment is is everything around me. It's not just when I'm heading out for, you know, a, a walk by the beach or a, a hike or, uh, you know, driving out to, to someplace where I can bike or whatever. It's, it's everywhere. It's, you know, it's the tree across the street. It's the, it's the air I'm breathing. It's the water we're drinking. It's the, the, it's, it's everything that is, is surrounding me and, and supporting my life and the life of those around me. And I think that is something that, that for me um, really is at the core of what uh, environmentalism is. It's acknowledging the connectivity that we have with our planet, with all living things. Um, it's not something out there. It's something that we carry in our hearts and it's, it's, it's our interactions with nature in every single form, because every time we take a bite of something, we should be thinking about the environment. Every time we turn on a light, turn it off, turn on a faucet, it's all environment. It's everywhere. Um, and, and to me, that is something that, that is um, too often not the way we talk about environment, but I think it's really important. Well, I agree with you. I love that. I think that's beautiful. And I think bottom line is that we want an environment that's healthy, not only for us, but for the next generation. So I'm with you. And that's the goal, right? We want clean air and we want clean water and we want peace. And we want love Amen. and we want an environment that is safe um, and that's not hostile. Right. Not hostile for a lot of different reasons. And I guess um, that's our goal. And unfortunately, we know to get there on one of these goals is that we have to transition from fossil fuels to clean energy um, right. because that method of extraction is hostile. That's and right. That method is a method that causes poverty and pollution. That method causes harm. And so we that that method is not sustainable. And so we That's understand right. that. So I'm with you 100 percent. And that method definitely puts people like you and me, people of color, in harm's way. And so, right. and then for us, from a moral standpoint, we can't stand for that. So I'm yeah. with you, that the, our environment should be beautiful. It should be amazing. It can be, but yeah. unfortunately, there are those who um, are using the environment for their own greed, which then leads to then your, your, your point. I guess is the thing. So we, we, we know what our environment should look like. We, we right. have that. We know what the goal is. Yeah. And as you mentioned, you gave this beautiful vision of tearing the house down. But before you tear the, <laughs> before we get to with you with your chainsaw and your hacksaw on your and your and your little tractor out there, I see you. Y'all can see Adrian right now. She got a little she got a little a little yellow hat on. She went she went to just bulldoze. Before you do all that, you, you, you've done it. You, you've also tried to be more uh, uh, sophisticated in trying to use particularly you know obviously your your amazing legal mind and your strategy and all that good stuff to help our movement move along in a way. So you've obviously working on that through DEI, diversity, uh, 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 inclusion, and equity, or, de or diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, mm -hmm. to put exactly to the, 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 the acronym. It's all uh, yeah, because otherwise, otherwise it's not, not a very good, good acronym. Then <laughs> 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 it's die. Then it's yeah. die. We don't want die. No, no, no. <laughs> we want live. We need to. We need to. <laughs> That's well, why we need DEI. Yeah. We, we, we don't want. He don't want die. No, <laughs> yeah. no. Oh, we got enough of that. No. We got enough no, of that. We got James yeah. letters around. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's too funny. So in the diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, I guess my point to you is this. Um, we're in a moment as a movement where I think that um, because of uh, the pandemic, and because of pollution, 
issues of environmental justice and climate justice are, are front and center. And so we're having this conversation of DEI in a way that's being done probably now more, I would think, and you let me know, than I've heard recently. But is that enough? Um, can people just, there are some who don't think that that's actually the way to go. And I'm talking about those who think that it should be, that it should, we shouldn't be having a DEI conversation. Um, and then is there a justice component? Great, great questions. And, and truly, um, it, it, excuse me, it's hard for me to, to, to answer it just, you know, as you can tell, I, I, it's hard for me to answer things just with one word or, or with, a, with a short sentence. But it's, I think that's actually a factor of the fact that, the, that these are not necessarily easy answers. Um, honestly, if we could start with just justice and that would get us there, that would be the ideal. Um, sadly, justice, I think, is is the goal because not 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 because it's bad, but because it's it's actually the hardest one for us to achieve as a society. So I see DEI as the steps that help us get there. They lay some of the foundational elements for understanding how we ultimately achieve justice. So there, there's some of the ingredients that have to be present in order for us to get to justice. But there is no doubt that justice has to be the goal. Justice and equity go hand in hand. If you do not have justice, you really don't have true equity. So should we start here? I don't know. I would love it if we could start in a place where there is no question that we should have a representative table that would take care of having to talk about diversity because it's a given that we should have everybody at the table and especially those who are most impacted representing, bringing their experiences. It's also should be a given that we should be inclusive and Unfortunately, that's also not true. In fact, most of our history as humans has been divisive and has been about excluding and, 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 and warring and competing and destroying. And so we're trying to, it's almost like a re-education, really. And, and so it's, it's, it's teaching the very basics that until we have diversity in earnest, then, you know, we can't even begin. Now, what that, di that diverse population, once we have everybody at the table, then we need to make sure that they're properly included because having somebody at the table, you know, it's, there's a saying, and I'm going to get it wrong, but it's like the difference between uh, inclusion and non-inclusion is being, you're in, a diversity is being invited to the dance and inclusion is being, is being asked to dance. I think that's absolutely right. Um, so you, we want to make sure that, that, that not only are people there, but that they're actually able to raise their voices. And sometimes that requires work. Why? Because the, system, the systems that we have, the systemic racism, the systemic exclusion, the systems of power um, are not designed for that. They're actually designed to exclude. So, so when we have that, we have those two elements, we're, we're, we're starting, we're kind of getting there. Um, but ultimately, and to use the same dance analogy and take it a step further, it's great to be invited. It's even better to be asked to dance, but it's better when you're throwing the party, right? Or when you're Amen. invited, right? We want to be the ones throwing the party. And where we can't throw the party, we want to, our friends to call us up and say like, hey, let's throw a party. Come and let's, let's do it together, right? So, so at a, that's the, the bare minimum. So I think we need to get all of that because until we have all of those, frankly, we can't really get to justice. Um, and I mean, we could spend an entire show talking about justice. I actually spent some time with some, some of my colleagues yesterday because I go off on my rants when I was a public defender in Philadelphia and the levels and layers of injustice that, that exist 
in our society runs so deep that, that my hope is that this type of work helps to peel back some of that old history, old pain, old, old bad habits, and create an awareness of why justice has to be the goal. Um, and that's when we start to see real change when we have all of those working in unison. Can a big green, or I mean big green for those who are listening, those are our large um, uh, environmental organizations. Usually they have budgets of between 50 to 150 plus uh, million dollars a year in their budgets. Those are big greens. We have several of them actually. There's not one or two. There's actually quite a few who fit that description. Um, most of those have, we've seen, do not have a lot of people of color. Um, that's your, your D, your diversity. Um, most of them are failing on that. They're literally sometimes below 20, sometimes even below 10% on their staff and their boards are actually worse than that. Sometimes their boards are zero to 5%. Um, and then when they begin to have this conversation of DEI, um, that it becomes one in which it, it brings up a lot of trauma for the people of color, um, the black, the brown, the indigenous, the people of color who work there. But the, but it sometimes it, it gets left there for white people to solve. Um, so I have a lot of questions for you. And my first question is that what's your thoughts on Big Greens and their handling of DEI? What's your thoughts on the trauma that is brought up in these conversations? And are we, me and you, as leaders, are we complicit that we are allowing for more people of color to come into institutions that are causing trauma, knowing their record on DEI? What an amazing question. Well, that it's a powerful one, and I think you know. Here's we're going to get into the into the serious uh, <laughs> serious conversation here. You know, we're back on the we're back on the we're, high board again. We're back on the high point, but this is this is this is real. It was you know, and um, big greens, which as you said, are the larger environmental groups, and some are are very very large. Um, big greens have done great great work. You know, there's no denying that, but. Mm-hmm. but to the exclusion and to the, 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 the fact that there has just not been, um, it's been to the exclusion of, of the groups that are on the front lines. It's to the exclusion of the groups that are truly experiencing um, the, the worst of the environmental impacts. And frankly, I think the big greens have, just continued to shift the conversation much more towards uh, these technocratic solutions that, yes, we need solutions. Again, I've said we need the science, we need the, the academics, but without having the people, we cannot get to the solutions that are truly going to benefit everybody. So I absolutely think that the the there is a, a double problem and I'll get into the the issue of, of of the lack of diversity in the big greens but I I wanted to start with with what I think is an overarching problem that I think actually feeds the lack of diversity mm-hmm. which is this sense that we've got this because we have great scientists we have great attorneys we have all of that's true but you don't got this until you really have the, again, until you really have the people who have the experience that can ground all of that work in reality. And so wouldn't it be better if you had scientists and, uh, and policy uh, design experts who came from the communities that were the most impacted, who came from the communities that are going to benefit most from those solutions that are coming out of these organizations. And that's why DEI is so important. Diversity, equity, and inclusion are so important, especially in the big greens um, everywhere, but especially in the big greens. The big greens have 
a lot of money and they have just not, they're late to the game. They're late to the game in really elevating the voices of people of color. Um, The hiring needs to be much more intentional to ensure that people of color, uh, very talented people of color who we know are are there and ready to work. Um, So, you know, enough of this, like there's, they're not the pipeline issue. No, we're here and we are ready to deliver. Um, But we don't only need to be brought in. We need to, again, be invited to the dance and be invited to the conversations, even within these organizations, where the decisions are being made so that our experiences and our perspectives are reflected in what's coming out of these organizations and what's ending up, frankly, passing as policy, because that's what we need. So it has to be done, not just, you know, you can't just put people of color in an organization, um, especially if they're not in leadership um, or in influential positions. You need to have people of color leading and in influential positions and informing the solutions that are coming out of these organizations. Mm -hmm. And the solutions need to be steeped in equity. Equity needs to be integrated into what we're doing. Um, And and so that is, is critical. What I say on the philanthropic side, so for foundations, the foundations that 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 fund um, the the movement, um, it's time to think beyond the big greens, and it's long past time to think beyond the green big greens. But it's critical to really start to uh, to to ramp up at a very rapid pace how we're investing in are groups that are truly connected to the problems, to the communities, truly representative and engaged. And, and I honestly tied this to the, 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 to the environmental movement, right? If, if who you see mostly in the news and, and in uh, the halls of Congress or the state house passing environmental policy are the big greens, then you're not going to be seeing the same, you know, you're not going to take, always be seeing the environmental justice leaders who are many times the ones who started and should be leading the fight. And we need to shift that paradigm. And I think in some places it's already happening. And in some of the big greens who are taking this very seriously, it's already happening. I do want to talk, though, about the trauma. There is no doubt, and I know that recently we've had some really brave, uh, courageous revelations, uh, specifically by women of color who have had some just truly tragic um, experiences. And sadly, they're not alone. They're simply the ones who had the courage to speak up and and come forth. Um, Those, to me, those letters are a reflection of how this system is broken and how we need to make sure that we have leadership that is truly representative of our, of, of our, our country, of our world. And that means people of color on boards, people of color in leadership, CEOs, people of color in uh, management teams and leadership teams making these decisions. Um, our human resources uh, teams need to be proactively working to make sure that uh, there are behaviors that are simply unacceptable, that whether it's a microaggression or a macroaggression, that they are immediately addressed. And what it, all of this means, taken as a whole, is that we need to shift to a really proactive anti-racist model. It's not just enough to do this Passively, we need to be actively anti-racist, interrupting the same behaviors that have come before and that unfortunately happen far too often um, if we're going to see some real change. Uh, we need to protect our people. And to do that, we need to make sure that they feel safe. And we're not going to be able to, to, to uh, really elevate that talent unless there's safety and awareness and a true commitment to being anti-racist. Mm, no, thank you for that. Um, it's been said that if we save the planet, 
but leave a system of uh, inequality and we haven't saved much. Um, and so I guess to what you're saying, I have two follow-up questions to that. And thank you for just this powerful, powerful conversation. And I just wanted to, my two questions again, does go on the trauma um, in the letters you mentioned. One, we've seen particularly a lot of folks within the BIPOC um, and the Black, Indigenous, and People of Color um, network have been saying they felt feel used um, by this system, or they feel like when they're in these organizations, they feel traumatized and it's hostile to them. Um, so I guess my question again stems from the standpoint, how are we asking these organizations who can't treat the people they see every day well to save our planet? And I guess on top of that, then for you, because you know you are where you are at the NG Foundation, mm -hmm. you are in this philanthropic world, um, is the philanthropic world codependent in this? Um, because um, if you continue to fund the one who is causing the trauma, knowing they aren't making the changes and knowing that it's been literally laid out there, then what does that say also when we continue to give these big greens their money to be big in the first place? Uh, it seems like there is a system in place that would be like, well, no, if you don't fix that immediately, in regards to your DEI, in regards to your justice, in regards to your, your, how you're, to being an anti-risk organization immediately, then listen, you'll go from 100 to one. <laughs> and I, and, and I guarantee you, uh, you, you'll see changes literally split, as they say. <laughs> That's a yeah. word. I don't know if it's a word or not. What? Literally <laughs> split. I just like yeah. saying it, but you'll yeah. see the changes literally split. In that process, so what is that? How, how is that, I mean, can an organization that wants to be anti-racist, that wants to be about the EI, if it's not showing that, how does that entity save the world? Yeah, well, I, I love how you wove it all together because I, I, I really hung on your first statement, which was, uh, if we don't save, how do we save the planet if we if we don't make these yeah, changes? No, how do we? How do we? What, what does it matter if we save the planet, but leave a system of inequality? Yeah. Then we haven't saved much. No, no, and I, I don't. I actually don't think we can save the planet if we leave a system of inequality. I think that's the reality: is that if we leave a system of inequality, we're not saving the planet um, because. We may be saving a place, we may be saving a space, we may be providing some solutions, but unless those solutions are truly benefiting the most impacted, we're not, we're not succeeding. It's a short-term victory. It's not a long-term victory. In order to have a long, a truly saving the planet, the systems have to change. And that does start with these organizations. It starts in government. It starts in a lot of places. But for the purposes of our conversation, the, and to answer your question, it's, it's really about these organizations and, and, and other organizations that, that may perpetuate this same status quo, the same dominant culture that is not, um, it's just, it, it's, it's not sustainable. It's outdated, frankly. And we, we need to make sure that we have, um, again, I'll just restate it, people of color in power. What we can do and what we are doing as uh, intermediary funders is, so intermediary funders means we don't have, a lot of these foundations are, um, you know, people have these big endowments, a lot of money, millions and billions of dollars that are either from a family or, or from others. Um, and, and they give money to others. That's usually for, for the listeners who, who aren't exactly, um, 
living this day to day because because I know that that um, that it's not uh, always common knowledge. Um, but so so that's usually how it works. A foundation has its own money. <clears throat> Energy Foundation doesn't have its own money. We actually actively fundraise and ask foundations, those foundations that have the billions to, uh, we, we say, you know, we know of grantees and wonderful organizations that you can support. For the longest time, what has happened, whether it's directly from that foundation, the, the money source, um, they've either gone directly to the traditional big green organizations because they know them, because they are, there's connections there, because um, those big organizations have big teams of people who actively fundraise for them. All of these different reasons that that they've they've been able those those organizations, the environmental groups, the ones we're calling the big greens, have a, a more direct road straight to the money, straight to say, hey, let's we we need this money, and because for the longest time. Again, um, it's been this idea uh, that I mentioned early on in our conversation, this shift where environmentalism went from being of the people to being much more about policy and about um, this, the, you know, data and such. Um, that, was, that was the way that they, they the, the, the white people, let's just call it what it is, the white people who were given the money were really comfortable giving the money to white people who were doing things that very much, very white things, <laughs> which was basically, we've got a lot of data, we've got a lot of reports, we've got a, things that are kind of really the habits of, of, of white supremacy, right? The, the, what, what white people are comfortable with. And people are, com- are uncomfortable with the white supremacy uh, terminology because it's off. It's always you know you think KKK, but but white supremacy is really this the the dominant culture, the dominant habits of of whiteness, um, which again are, are are very much let's let's do it this way and let's do it our way. So when you have two people who are both kind of the same mindset, it's natural that they're yeah sure I trust you here take my money, and um, what we're trying to do at EF is disrupt that. And this is where my commitment lies, is how do we say, and this is a big change for us, because Energy Foundation was, is, has not been this way. This is, this, is, this is why I like a challenge, and this was one of the challenges that I thought this is going to be where we do it. Why? Because now we have a chance to talk to those same foundations and to help bring the foundations along and say, look, that's not the only path. And this is where, this is where the magic lies right now. So our role can be to help you, a big foundation with a lot of money, identify a lot of the groups who are already there because there are, I mean, just hundreds of thousands of incredible people doing incredible work to protect the environment. So making that connection is an important, it's, it's, frankly, it's, it's mission critical. And it's my mission, as I see it, is to make sure that that happens. There's an additional step, which is that because we also help to inform policy and recognizing that especially in, in some states where there's the need to, to uh, you know, collaborate with, with a lot of different partners and make sure that we've got the right policy, we're doing a ton of training as far as making sh- in order to make sure that every single person who works for us understands that we cannot be making the same assumptions that we've been making for years, that we need to start by asking ourselves first and foremost, who is most impacted by this policy? Mm. And the second step, are they at the table? And third, are their voices heard? If until we can get all of those to yes, and that requires funding, that requires support, that requires all types of things, that until we can do that, then we're not truly integrating equity into our processes. Um, and, and so there's, I, I've been spending all my time working on that. And I'll tell you honestly, what's been most exciting, and I really, cr- I, I credit the, the, you know, people like you who have just been so firm 
in, in raising the importance of, of, of elevating people of color in this dialogue, the, the, what I'm seeing very quickly is incredible receptivity and an eagerness, frankly, to say, how do we do this and how do we do this right? And how do we not only, um, not only change the paradigm of giving to the same groups that we've always given, but how do we truly just make the space about the people who are the most impacted? Mm. So it's, 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 a long, it's a long answer, but it's actually a process that is about simply peeling away the layers of assumptions that we have and, and, and assumptions that, that foundations have and assumptions that our society has that, um, that people of color and people in our community don't know what we need when that couldn't be further from the truth. We absolutely know what we need and we know how to get there. And if we can actually get in there and do it, it's going to get done. Amen. Amen. And amen. (laughs) (laughs) I will. Man. So I just have two more. This time always goes so, so, so fast. I got two more questions for you. Um, so I want to make sure I get this in for like we have a lot of young folks who listen to the coolest show and to yeah. this conversation. Um, and so I want to make sure with your background, um, because a lot of them are engaged with demonstration. Um, but demonstration without litigation leads to frustration. And I love so that. I, I want you to break down for them that you've had so many cases from environmental justice and what you've worked on. Um, and man, we, we got to have you come back on. We, we, that whole wing of the conversation we got to talk about next time. But for this piece, explain to them the importance of environmental litigation and how it's difficult because literally how the cases work, it goes out of the public eye, but it's still happening. Um, and so a lot of times people then think they're losing momentum, but actually it's going through the legal processes and that when it pops up again, you'll be ready to get, you'll be ready to move again. It'd be three years later, um, oh or five years later and you're, mm-hmm. or it could be way after the mark. So just explain the importance of litigation, um, for our climate movement. Absolutely. Litigate. Well, that's why I actually went to one of the big greens at uh, Natural Resources Defense Council was <clears throat> when I was in law school. I learned exactly what you were talking about, which, you know, I considered myself pretty informed. I was in law school, but I didn't understand every aspect of how regulations and things like that. A lot of these, you know, we know about laws. We learn about laws, but we don't often learn about these other policies and regulations that really um, have just an incredible impact on our lives. And, And that's what motivated me to become uh, an environmental attorney, uh, and and what really drew me to NRDC in particular, because so many of the cases that I was reading involved NRDC, and so much of this work on the regulatory side, um, which again, it just gets in the weeds. But in an ess- in essence, this is what you're saying, right? There's this whole other process of things that happen, um, and 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 legal fights and legal challenges that happen. Out of out of our eye, they they're not in the news because they they're they're not you know scandalous enough. Although I argue that that they should be um, because they they really are and they really impact us all. But environmental litigation is critical to this fight because we do have laws. We have incredible environmental laws if they are implemented, if they are used, if they're not. Uh, you know, people who who pollute aren't finding workarounds. Um, and it's why it's so important to vote. And it's why it's important right now that we're having the conversation about the Supreme Court justice appointment, because every single case, every single time something is is not happening the way that it should in the environment, um, as lawyers, we want to look for a legal or regulatory hook, something that we can say, you broke this law, and therefore, we want to stop you. We want to stop your actions 
and uh, the law requires that you stop your actions. So what that's what that's meant for us so far is that what's that meant in, in and I mean us as as the environmental movement and and all of us is that we've been able to stop um, pollution in waterways. We've been able to stop air pollution. We've been able to um, make sure that the pesticides that are on our food are actually studied by, by scientists. These are all things that, if, that corporations don't really want us doing. You know, they'd much rather just put out junk and dump wherever they want. And, and so as lawyers, we have an opportunity to get in there and, and challenge that. And not only challenge that, but also challenge uh, an administration, let's say, you know, uh, uh, whether it's this administration or other administrations to do the right thing, because oftentimes laws are on the book, but they just, they're just not doing it. They either aren't getting the money they need, or they just don't care enough, or they're getting pressure against enforcing the laws. So we, we bring, we can bring lawsuits <clears throat> that represent people that represent um, real problems and we can bring about change that is legally enforceable, meaning there's a timeline, it has to happen. Sadly, it takes a while. Some of these cases take years, but every single one of them matters, even the ones that may not always be a huge success. Because what we're doing is we're, again, laying the foundation for future challenges um, and 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 actually using our legal system, which as as much as as it's not perfect because it sure isn't. Uh, that's our conversation for next time. Uh, it, it there are very much uh, legal legal consequences to the actions that are being taken um, because the 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 laws that were passed to protect our environment are strong. We need to keep them that way. We need to make sure that our Congress doesn't weaken them, that um, they're not weakened by uh, this president or the next or the following. So our place in that, in that equation is to get out there and vote and be aware and be informed and hold our people accountable on all fronts. If we're in an organization, we have to make sure people are accountable. If we're citizens, we need to make sure our leaders are accountable. Um, and ideally, we need to become the leaders so that then we can really make the change we want to see. I know that's right. Well, I have this one more question for you. Before I get to that, what, this, what are you listening to right now? Well, what kind of music you got on your, on your phone there? Oh, What's you know, your go-to? I, I, have, I have a lot of music on my phone right now, and I'm finding that I need it more and more every day. Um, you know what, uh, what I found just... I mean, it was, I can't tell time these days. It must have been yesterday or the day before. It all just goes together. That's, that's really bringing me, like, you know, when I'm feeling like I can't take it, salsa. Okay. As a Latina, I kind of have to. So I started with some, I started you with some there, J Balvin. You've been, like you be, you be there getting with Bella over there? You be. Yeah. Well, I started with some, with some of the more like pop and which I love, I love, I love watching watching uh, um, Bad Bunny uh, the other day with his performance, and I love how these <laughs> these Latin artists are just like again they're just bringing it and disrupting things and and just changing the norm. I mean, it was it was so awesome. But I love I love some good salsa. I love some great Shakira. I'm, I'm Colombian. My my family's Colombian, um, so I love I love my Colombian artists. But um, but I love uh, I also, I mean there's so many artists so many of the artists I mean look I I would want all of the listeners should be going straight to all of the artists that support hip hop caucus because you have some incredible artists and that's what I love so much I mean I still go back and listen to uh, that song that Common wrote. And I'm just the water. moved to tears. And it's so, to, music is such a, an incredible tool for communication, which is why I love so much what, what you've done. Music and culture change the world. And our music can bring us up, can bring us down, but more than anything, it can motivate us and it can bring us together. And that is how we are going to, to, to mobilize people. Um, 
I want to, I loved when we were, you know, when we were protesting to have people on the street making music, playing music. Um, you know, hell, I, I'll admit it. I, my daughter's really gotten me into uh, a lot of these, these new, uh, new female rappers who, okay. you know, their songs right. might, might be not safe for work. Right. But. Yeah, I was, was going to say, yeah, I was going to. But I'm loving it. Yeah, listen, if it's not, if it's not fun, we done. You got to have right? fun. <laughs> the woman has had, we got to have fun in this process. Yeah, yeah. You know, she was, she was playing, uh, she was playing Moab for me because she's like, Mom, this song, this one's for you. Okay. And <laughs> a little Megan Thee Stallion, a little, little Cardi B going on. Oh, 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 a little Megan Thee Stallion, but this is, oh gosh, um, I'm going to forget her name. Hey, Moab. Look it up. Um, oh, okay. She, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. Gosh, why did I just forget her name? I just listened to her this morning. Um, Rockin' song. And basically, uh, the lyric was, you know, like, it's basically, she's like my mama. You know, I'm like my mama. <laughs> So right. I, it's not safe for work, but I think uh, the listeners. I, no, I, I understand. Will, will I, listen, 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 awesome. this, 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 this is why we have this conversation. So you can, you can it's say what you got to say. I'm a very freaky girl. Got it from my mama. Okay, I'm not. That's like total like embarrassment moment. That one, hopefully. No, that's <laughs> fair. Listen, listen. That's the thing. People need to know that even though we do this work, we we are we 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 too are still human. Yeah. And you gotta have you gotta have, you gotta have dance, you gotta you laugh, do. you gotta you enjoy do. because if you enjoy this life, you're gonna fight for this life. Amen. Yeah. Oh, well, which actually leads to my last question. So my last question really goes down to everything we've been talking about. And I guess it kind of goes with a wrapping up with your career and who you are. And it kind of goes into this that um, you know, we've lost some giants uh, like John Lewis and Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and particularly on the court side, you know, uh, Thurgood Marshall mm. and Mrs. Uh, Ginsburg literally were fighting, were the epitome of fighting for equality, and primarily in the 20th century going into this century, which we still need to fight for. But for you and other attorneys and just our movement in general, we're no longer just fighting for equality. We're now fighting for existence. And that's a whole different kind of fight when you're fighting for existence. And so I guess, you know, if you're on a, this in your last bit, what, what gives you hope as you, as you now in the 21st century, in that legacy? Are wow. Um, what gives me hope the most, I have to say, is the energy that I am seeing from young people today, the awareness and frankly, just it's a given, it seems to most young people today that we need equality, equity, energy. We need to fight climate change. That the fact that it's natural to them, that 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 to them racial justice is is an obvious right we need that that energy that that they're bringing that awareness inspires me daily and what inspires me as well is the fact that i'm seeing people come together um albeit at, at, to oppose what has been frankly just complete um abuse of, of our government and, and our systems. Um, but that unity and that energy gives me a lot of hope. Um, those, those giants who we revere and, and, and just hold and, and honor um, continue to inspire me as well. And I feel a responsibility. Some of my hope comes from a sense of duty and a sense of responsibility that we have to deliver on what they all started, you know, MLK, all of, I mean, it's so many leaders. I just, I, you know, I think, I think of, I say, uh, Dr. King is one of those people who um, inspires me on the daily. Um, I find that the struggles of the, of the, 
of the civil rights movement, um, past and present, and hopefully not too far in the future, because I want this to be done now, uh, that inspires me. You know, I know we'll still have future leaders and they'll, I will be there with them. Um, but I just, I'm impatient and we don't have any more time to waste. We got to get this done now. We need racial justice now. We need climate change solutions, clean energy now. And um, it's time to, to save this planet for real. Mm. My dear sister, if folks want to find you, how can they get in contact with you or see more of the work you do over there at EA? Well, definitely um, you can follow me on uh, Twitter. I'm not that active on Facebook um, and uh, LinkedIn as well. Good place. I'm trying to get a, a, a bigger, uh, I'm trying to be a little more, a little, post a little bit more on, on Instagram as well, but I can share all those links. Um, Adriana Q on Twitter and, um, and reach out. I mean, uh, I'll, I will, I will reply if you all have questions, happy to always excited to talk to, to new leaders, always excited to learn about what people are doing. So thank you so much, Rev, for everything you do for being, I'm so grateful for you and so grateful for all the work you do. And thank you so much for this, this honor, this invitation. Like what you heard on this episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Follow us at Think 100 Climate and at Hip Hop Caucus on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Visit thecoolestshow.com where you can take action for climate justice right now. You can also learn more about this podcast and donate to Think 100%, which is a nonprofit project. Thank you for listening and all power to the people. Think 100.